and welcome to European Talks, podcast from the European Policy Center, a Belgrade-based think tank. My name is Anna Maric and I will be your host today. Today, we are discussing real obstacles to enlargement seen from the perspective of the Netherlands, an EU member state that has positioned itself as a strong promoter of rule of law enforcement, both within the EU and towards candidate countries for membership. To discuss these topics, I'm joined by Mr. Jan Marinus Vierzma, Senior Visiting Fellow at the Klingendale Institute in Hague and former member of the European Parliament. We recorded this episode a few days ago in the dynamic atmosphere of a conference center in Belgrade. For this reason, you may hear occasional background noise. Mr. Vierzma, uh, welcome to this podcast. Welcome to Belgrade. Uh, you came to Belgrade today to speak at the org- conference organized by uh, Balkans in Europe Policy Advisory Group and the Klingendale Institute on the topic of the obstacles uh, for the Western Balkans enlargement. Uh, can you tell us, in your opinion, in brief, what are the, what do you see as the main obstacles? For uh, the main obstacles are, are yeah, yeah, actually you have two categories of obstacles. One obstacles uh, that are belong to the European Union and the second category of obstacles is the obstacles in the region and a lack of progress in reforms, uh, uh, problems with media, problems with rule of law issues and mentioning also mentioned in the reports of the European Commission and being also part of the debate inside the European Union about whether to move forward with the region or not. Uh, so. <clears throat> That's one uh, area of obstacles. The other area of obstacles is the, 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 the fact that the EU is in itself divided, is coping with a difficult agenda after the euro crisis, the economic problems, the, the problems of unemployment we have had, uh, uh, migration issues, internal uh, uh, labor migration, but also external refugee uh, uh, flows of a number of years ago. Uh, so divided also on rule of law issues. If you look at the debate between Brussels and, for example, Hungary, and Poland on rule of law and the independence of the judiciary. So you have to, the fact that the EU is struggling with itself is of course an obstacle, obstacle also in, in moving forward on the enlargement agenda. So the Commission has a, 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 a European Commission has a, such an, a proactive approach now and has a new strategy and wants to engage more. But on the other hand, you see the, the EU member states struggling mainly with internal issues. It creates a certain uncertainty and hesitation also uh, to move forward with the enlargement process. This is, I think, two uh, process at the same time. A lack of re- uh, and the transformation in this region is more difficult than we thought. It takes more time. It's also a mental issue partly. It's a problem of the elites not functioning properly, uh, but also of the people uh, showing a certain passivity. You know, not always. Look, there's, maybe that's a positive sign of not. At least you see also here in Belgrade, but we saw it also in Tirana, demonstrations, and mm-hmm. earlier, of course, in, in Macedonia for change, for a better life. So mm-hmm. th- that is still also, I think that is a positive de- development. I mm-hmm. see that people, uh, apart from what is being said in Brussels, mm-hmm. do not always accept what's going on here and how the elites uh, uh, operate politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming to the obstacles on the EU side, let's first address them. Um, you've been very much involved uh, uh, during the process of uh, enlargement of Central and Eastern European countries to the EU and back in 2014 you've written when you spoke about the governance of the EU that these countries have reformed and transformed politically but in terms of social factors, of its social software, it was still uh, a process uh, 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 process uh, in uh, in the making, let's say. 
Uh, and back then you also pointed out to the uh, lack of transformative power and uh, reversibility of reforms in terms of rule of law. Uh, what do you see as the main lessons learned from uh, the CE enlargement and um, how uh, these uh, detrimental uh, uh, phenomena today, uh, today, such as uh, the lack of uh, rule of law application uh, in these countries, affect the functioning of the EU nowadays? Well, I, <clears throat> and, uh, of course, it is always hindsight, because you, you mentioned the fact that I was involved very much as a member of the European Parliament, but also in my part of the political family uh, with enlargement in 2004, 2007, uh, later Croatia in 2013. At that time, we were convinced that we were doing the right thing and that we were working with countries that were on, on and that, that had moved forward considerably, implementing also the criteria of Copenhagen. So they were dem democracies, they had a competitive economy and were able to implement all the EU rules. That was the general idea, also based on the assessments made by the European Commission, then in a very positive atmosphere. That's when we took those decisions. Only afterwards we learned or we were confronted with some of the consequences we had not seen uh, in 2002 and 2003 when we voted on in the European Parliament, for example, on all these accessions, is that, the, uh, we, uh, that, that, that uh, of course, there was increased stability in Europe. It's still increased stability, thanks to the enlargement. If we would have not have done that, I don't know what kind of Europe we would have had now. Also, even talking about Romania and Bulgaria, it's good they are in. That creates a certain, in the larger uh, 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 realm of Europe, uh, a certain stability. I think also uh, uh, these countries have profited enormously from the economic uh, opportunities offered by EU membership and from the money offered by the European Union and the, uh, the huge subsidies that have gone to all these countries and of course the, uh, the, the remittances. All these people working in the Netherlands and the UK or in France, they send money back that can be used of course and invested in these countries. So that's the positive side. What we did not see maybe is that uh, not everybody profited from the enlargement, that uh, and, and people were disappointed. Many people expected more also for their personal well-being. Uh, they maybe expected that, that we would introduce in Eastern Europe a kind of welfare state like we have in the Netherlands, not seeing how much that costs mm -hmm. and that these countries did not have the kind of income to be able to afford a, 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 a substantial welfare system, social security and so on, pensions. And, and so a lot of people are disappointed. And uh, this is what we underestimated, that we did not emphasize enough the social dimension of these transformation processes and, uh, and, and mainly emphasize the market part of it. That's partly also the DNA of the European Union. And that's market, 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 and then the rest. Uh, so that is what we underestimated maybe. And also that, that maybe we underestimated the, uh, that these transformation processes also created <coughs> a, a, a lack of, of balance in those countries. And that uh, rulers and parties, uh, political parties, though they said the same things as we said, they, they maybe said yes to what we wanted them to do and thought no. So there was a, 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 this transformation to develop this democratic mentality, which is more an informal thing now, that we underestimated. And so the, the formal institutions were functioning, there were free and fair elections, there was a judiciary that is formally independent, formally there was an anti-corruption mechanism, but in practice it didn't, did not work uh, in, in terms of uh, proper implementation. So in, in Holland, if a judge is independent, he is independent. In, here, if a judge is formally independent, is not sure whether he is not being 
uh, put under pressure by, uh, by the government. In Holland it would be impossible, here it's still possible. Mm -hmm. That's what we underestimated. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 and, and, and there was, like I said also in, in my mm -hmm. introduction, there's more than no follow-up mechanism on mm -hmm. that. Partly because we did not see uh, that, that having the formal... That, so the, I always say the, uh, democ the democracy is a construction of, of rules, and, and there are basically rules developed by the Council of Europe and adopted also by the European Union. You have elections and you have a president and, and you have a parliament, but who is the president or who is in the parliament? It's always uncertain. That depends on the, uh, the vote of the people. Mm -hmm. That system functions basically, but it's a house. But how to live in it is another story. Mm -hmm. In Holland, members of the opposition have the same rights as members of a governing coalition. Uh, 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 to take an example, in Holland, you don't just take decisions, you consult the people. You, you work talk to the labor unions before you take a political decision. Mm -hmm. This is what I call the informal part of democracy, mm -hmm. and this is a problem here. Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, estranges people also. They see the elites working for their own interests and not themselves profiting enough, and there's no interaction. Partly has to do with the, the weak uh, uh, role of political parties. Normally they are important, but in fact they don't operate like parties in Western Europe. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and there's a weak civic society to translate and, and communicate between uh, the, the ruling elite or, or the parliament and, uh, and the ordinary people. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, exactly. You've mentioned uh, during your intervention that there was no follow-up mechanism, a kind of uh, post-accession coaching for the new EU member states. Uh, and you also, uh, as far as I've read from your works, you're advocating for a stronger rule of law framework within the EU. Uh, could you tell us uh, what would that, uh, what does that mean? What, what would that rule of law framework entail? <coughs> Well, I think that, uh, look, I, I used the example of the Roma mm -hmm. in my introduction, that I mm -hmm. worked a lot on that issue as a Slovak government, as a rapporteur, and they promised to do this and that and invest money and, 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 and put in place programs to help these people because we had a terrible situation in Slovakia. And this was all uh, uh, positively uh, evaluated by the European Parliament. One of the reasons why we voted for, uh, for the membership of Slovakia, because they had this positive approach to the Roma problems. And after accession, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And there was no follow-up and no pressure by the EU actually. Well, it took some years, there came some pressure, but not enough. So what I would, uh, is, uh, if you make arrangements with the candidate countries, and, and also on rule of law issues, on the independence of the judiciary, on free media, and they do all, yes, 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 and before the accession, they all uh, uh, basically then respected it. Here is different, that's one of the problems of this region, that these rulers here think they can, uh, they will be accepted in the EU if they behave like they behave. Uh, but then in, in Slovakia or in, in Hungary or there were no, uh, Orban was later, eh? and, and also Fietzel in Slovakia was later. Then the governments were very pro-European pro mm. consensus was in, uh, between the large parties to, to make this, uh, this step. So we, we were convinced that things were, uh, were basically okay, and, and that's what we, uh, uh, but with hindsight, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, came to the conclusion that we should have maybe uh, put uh, in place already then mm -hmm. uh, a proper mechanism to monitor new member states and to coach them uh, in areas especially concerning the rule of law, these mm -hmm. famous chapters 23 and mm -hmm. 24, which we didn't do because mm -hmm. there was no, then maybe we thought there was no need to do that. And now there is a huge debate <coughs> going on within the European Union, uh, also not because of the enlargement issue, uh, but because of uh, Hungary and uh, mm -hmm. And, and, and Poland and also Romania now, uh, uh, a huge debate on how we together uh, protect these European values. This And in both cases, it's about the independence of the judiciary. And we have no real mechanism but except this very tough 
Article 7 uh, instrument mm -hmm. uh, to correct or coach or push uh, things in a different direction. So in my view, learning from that and learning also from my own experience with enlargement uh, in Slovakia, but also Romania and Bulgaria and how things developed after accession, mm -hmm. is to let loose this non-intervention principle, because that is still so basic. You don't interfere in internal affairs of a member state. You have to trust one another. This mm -hmm. is the basis of the treaty. Trust. Monitoring, of course, is distrust. Uh, so this is one fundamental point mm -hmm. to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. uh, my idea is uh, the European Parliament already has proposed to set up a kind of monitoring mechanism, a rule of law monitoring mechanism, uh, and that will apply to all member states. You cannot just mm -hmm. put in place a rule of law mechanism only for newcomers. It tends to apply to all member states. I'm fine with me. Uh, and then linked, it is more negative, eh, because that is then a monitoring linked to sanctions eventually. Mm -hmm. But you can also link it to a coaching. So if you see shortcomings in a country, there are two possibilities uh, on the basis of this mechanism. Either you force them uh, uh, to change their attitude, or you say that we're, we're going to help you to change your attitude. And mm -hmm. the first thing is monitoring with sanctions, and the other is coaching uh, with support. Uh, I would like to have a mechanism that contains both uh, elements. Mm -hmm. And I think it would not be bad also to monitor uh, the human rights situation in the Netherlands. Nothing wrong with that. Or France or Germany or Sweden. Not only Poland, Hungary or eventual newcomers from this uh, region. Mm -hmm. That would be uh, one major lesson learned. So mm -hmm. my major lesson is not let's throw out the Hungarians and the Poles because that's impossible. You cannot throw countries out of the EU. Mm -hmm. it's an that's one element you might consider that you have to change the treaty. For what I'm proposing, you don't have to change the European treaty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm much more in favor of this, this, this uh, uh, approach I just outlined. would be very helpful also as a signal to the region. Mm -hmm. Look, uh, uh, you, you, you can play nice weather now, but you don't think you get away with it after accession mm -hmm. uh, uh, doing uh, things uh, differently. Mm -hmm. And this, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, as you as we've discussed today, the major impediment for the EU's accession of the Western Balkan countries is obviously the rule of law issues. Uh, do you think that by introducing uh, such mechanisms that you propose would uh, help move forward uh, the current enlargement policy, which now seems to be stuck on both sides? Uh, it would at least offer the guarantee mm -hmm. to the, uh, those who have doubts. Uh, also in mm -hmm. my own country, in the Netherlands, in the Dutch Parliament, those who have doubts would convince them that at least we have the appropriate procedures mm -hmm. and instruments to tackle uh, these issues once countries are in. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 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 and that would help avoid, and that would take away, uh, I think, the fear that, that lacking this mechanism, lacking monitoring and coaching after accession, we would end up with six orbans. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so that would be... Uh, so. It would, in general, help to, because this mechanism, of course, would not only have an impact on, 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 on our relations with newcomers or candidate mm -hmm. countries, but also have an impact on Hungary, Poland yeah. and Romania. It would be a reconfirmation of this value system mm -hmm. and uh, adding instruments to protect that value system. So I, I, I think that would strengthen the EU as such as a value uh, uh, community. Mm -hmm. and would make it feel stronger. And my whole story this morning is, uh, look, we have a number of problems. Uh, uh, if we are not going to tackle them, they will always use the absorption uh, mm -hmm. uh, criterion mm -hmm. to do, not to do anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because all these countries that are saying, let's continue negotiations, let's allow Albania, North Macedonia, a lot of them think, well, this will take another 50 years, so after my... Uh, and this, is, I think, is also not the, uh, the best approach. But the strengthening the EU in this area, uh, uh, but also, like I said, I, I mentioned the economic issues and mm -hmm. 
the, the insecurity that has, has made a lot of European citizens sceptical about the EU, mm -hmm. also that should be tackled. There are a number of issues. Our, our role in the world, well, there's a lack of self-confidence with regard to how we deal with Putin or Erdogan or, mm -hmm. uh, or, or Trump. Or we have uh, to work out an agenda on climate change, which is fundamental. Mm -hmm. If the EU is not able to work out a proper agenda on climate change, the world is lost, I can tell you. If we cannot do it, who can? Uh, and there's this whole issue of migration. We have to work out also internally how this free, free movement of labor, if this, if, this, if this is unconditional or not. We already are conditioning it. Eh? You know, there's now this new rule, that, 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 that a new principle that gets more attention, that you get the same salary for the mm -hmm. same work at the same place. Mm -hmm. So you cannot import cheap labor anymore. Yeah. In that if you apply this principle, if, if someone from Poland comes to work in the Netherlands, he has to have the same salary as his Dutch colleague at the mm -hmm. same place uh, mm -hmm. uh, for the same work. Mm -hmm. So there's another area where we have to work uh, to, to increase uh, people's trust in Europe, European uh, cooperation. There is this positive dimension now. I think that, oh, partly due to Brexit, but also to the uncertainty created by the Trump administration. And what we see here in Ukraine and Russia, there's a, 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 a stronger awareness of the need to work together. Of course, then you have to find out how exactly to work together, but this may be helpful. And the European elections, you saw the gro uh, growth, but not that dramatic, I would say, of the populist right. Mm -hmm. But the center, the pro-European center is still very strong. Mm -hmm. uh, <coughs> Only this pro-European centre is divided between the more federalist uh, 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 parties and the more instrumental approach to uh, uh, EU cooperation. And mm -hmm. some in, in this framework, some will also, uh, and this is typically of Europe, in the debate about this region, some will emphasize the stability arguments in China and Russia, and others will, like the Netherlands, mm -hmm. uh, emphasize, no, 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 it's the rule of law, human rights, and so on. Mm -hmm. okay, let's now talk about the Dutch political stakeholders and Dutch uh, public opinion. Uh, the public opinion service done by Eurobarometer showed that uh, the Dutch citizens are quite uh, unfavorable of further enlargement to the EU. Some 60% uh, are against. Uh, what are the main drivers uh, for, uh, of attitudes of Dutch stakeholders on the one side, political stakeholders, and um, public opinion on the other, in your opinion? Yeah, well, I, it's of course obvious that, that also, uh, if you look at opinion polls, uh, recently, but also some of older polls, that there is a, mm -hmm. a certain reservation amongst the Dutch population when it comes to enlargement issues. They mm -hmm. are doubtful whether that would be wise to uh, further enlarge the European Union. This has a, a, a longer background than last year or the year mm -hmm. before, and it has not always uh, 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 really blocked the process, so to say, because the, the, the doubts already started in the Netherlands in 2005, when uh, the a Dutch, a majority of the Dutch population in a referendum blocked the uh, uh, constitutional treaty and it was explained by many as a, as a protest vote against enlargement. Mm -hmm. the, the foreseen enlargement with Turkey but also the Big Bang of 2004, 10 countries at the same time. And this is still playing in uh, a role in the heads of the people. Too big, uh, we are not, uh, we, uh, uh, too many countries, what, what remains of the Netherlands if you work with 28, what is your vote worth? Uh, we, and we started with six, you have to remember, we were of the original six. Mm -hmm. So that plays, plays a role in certain created by the fast growth of the European Union, with uh, much more centers of decision making. That's one element. Secondly, uh, what added to the, to the doubts and hesitations, and I think that, that, that what happened in 2005 and, 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 and that fear of enlargement played a role in the no vote against the treaty, 
had many to do with Turkey. But like I said, Turkey does not play that much a role anymore. It's now much more about the situation uh, in this region mm -hmm. uh, uh, and in the background. Uh, 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 and what was not an element, I think, in 2005, but is an element really now in the in the sepsis of Dutch people concerning enlargement is the labor migration. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, this has been this effect, of course, only happened four or five years after uh, the accessions of Poland uh, and others, because for the first five, six years there was a transition arrangement, so they could not come here. They could go to England, so because the, the British did never use this transitional arrangement, which is one of the problems they have now. And I think there's a second element, which caused uh, uh, people in, in uh, having their doubts about uh, enlargement, this labor migration issue. I think in the, in the, in the, in the concern in this region is not such a big thing, because these are relatively small countries. Poland is a big country, of course. Mm -hmm. I, see that, I see that plays a role. And lately also, if you, eh, it has drawn attention in the media, it's, it's never the nice things that happen. It's always the problems. And especially concerning Albania, what people remember is the, uh, the liquidations in the, in, in, in the criminal world in, in the Netherlands, where Albanian gangs are uh, involved. And there is now a, a complete story about uh, Albanian gangs smuggling people through the Netherlands to Britain. Uh, so that is then hits the news, and it adds to this general sepsis, which is translated, of course, by the political parties. Mm -hmm. uh, so the news from the Western Balkans coming to the Netherlands are rather negative. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah, except Tadic, the football player. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's very popular, mm -hmm. I can tell you. Mm -hmm. And he's from Serbia. Um, yeah, okay. Then he helped Ajax uh, become champion. Sports so, uh, can be one of our Now this power. is... This <laughs> Just, yeah, and I look. It's all look. There's a lot of people in the Netherlands who go on holiday here. It's mm -hmm. it's not as black and white. But if they uh, if this opinion polar calls mm -hmm. you and he asks you the question, then you get that kind of answer. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think these are opinion polls. I don't know. I I have been campaign director of my party for many times, and we always did focus groups. Mm -hmm. You get a better idea of what is in the people's minds because you question them for mm -hmm. two hours, mm -hmm. a group of 10 or 12 people. And these, these more general opinion polls uh, where people fill in a form or get mm -hmm. a, some questions via the phone, I don't believe that is really uh, uh, most effective. Anyhow, mm -hmm. uh, this is the, 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 yeah, so it's somewhat contradictory. We like Tatic, but we don't want Serbia, for example. Uh, if you look back to what happens in 2005, we accepted the membership of, two, of Romania and Bulgaria. It was already decided actually before 2005. No problem with Croatia, 2013. Mm -hmm. Like I said, NATO membership of Montenegro, Albania, and also in the mm -hmm. case of North Macedonia, no problem. Mm -hmm. uh, to, and we also accepted Serbia's the start of negotiations with Serbia and Montenegro. So, and that was not that many years ago. So. While the atmosphere has always been negative, mm -hmm. it is now uh, uh, the Dutch have followed up in the end always on, on the steps proposed by the European Union. On, look at Serbia, we were the last to accept the association agreement. I remember that. It, has, it had to do with the cooperation of Serbia, obviously, in the Hague Tribunal. The problem was solved in a, in a certain way, so we gave the green line. But it, it's. Uh, uh, look, we gave the. Uh, Parliaments, national parliaments, this instrument in 2006, and uh, when we decided that every step in the process uh, uh, had to be supported by unanimity. And you also mentioned that the panel that uh, very often uh, the opening of sex accession negotiations is um, uh, equivalent to membership of the EU, that somehow these two are taken as synonyms uh, by many 
Dutch politicians and stakeholders that this oh, and the public that this is somehow this somehow needs to be clarified that uh, opening of accession negotiation does not equal uh, finality uh, membership. Yeah, but this is the, uh, the, the the dominant interpretation, or this is how it's being discussed in the Dutch Parliament, not by all parties, but by a majority of parties, mm -hmm. including two government parties. One government party is not, uh, D66 is on a, has a different line. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and there they, yeah, there, uh, 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 like there was this huge co confusion in the Netherlands about uh, Ukraine. We had a referendum on the association treaty mm -hmm. because... According to many, association meant automatically membership, mm -hmm. uh, which was non total nonsense. Because in those association treaties with uh, Ukraine, Moldova, and Georgia, there is no perspective, no European perspective. There is in the association treaties with this, these countries. Uh, but anyhow, like in, in, in uh, so it's it's. I find it somewhat odd that this is uh, arguments being used. Uh, start of negotiations means a commitment to mm -hmm. uh, 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 a membership, and it is a reversible process. Mm -hmm. You start. Well, they didn't say that in the case of Serbia and Montenegro, where, where we are negotiating. Everybody mm -hmm. sees that if if the situation remains the same here as it remains in Montenegro, both countries will not join the EU. I can tell you, mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. only because of the Kosovo issue here, but also because of the state capture exactly. problem. We also see in Montenegro, by the mm -hmm. way, with Djukanovic. Mm -hmm. So there is uh, so, but uh, 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 this is in fixed now in the heads of the uh, uh, of, of of these political parties mm -hmm. that uh, that we should not make this step because we promised too much. But actually, in the association treaty and in the Thessaloniki summit, uh, we introduced this European perspective for all the countries. It's of, just a of perspective, right? It's not. Yeah. So it's my. Uh, so I, 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 I've got, like I said this morning, I, mm -hmm. I find it odd. I don't understand it. I see the mm -hmm. negotiations as a, as a commitment to work together to, mm -hmm. to, to meet the targets uh, formulated in, in 1993, and we are much more stricter and, and, and fairer than we were in the mm -hmm. case of Slovakia or Romania and Bulgaria. So it's much more difficult for you. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, see if this process, which means a, a more engagement, more screening, uh, uh, helps uh, uh, to, 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 to introduce the real reforms that are demanded in the Hague. And if not, then in the end, uh, 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 whatever conclusion there will be, it's still the European Parliament, the Dutch Parliament, who can veto it. Mm. Uh, if, they, if, if this leads to accession treaties that are unacceptable to the Dutch Parliament, I'm quite sure there will be other parliaments who also will then. Uh, uh, not accepted, and so the final stage will anyhow not be a stage of the European Commission. Mm -hmm. It will be the stage of the member states, and the national parliaments, and the European Parliament. Uh, because there's some they all, all, the, all the, the quote this morning from the Commission statement. Yeah, it's fine, uh, uh, but this is just the Commission. Mm -hmm. We have to be aware of the power structures in the European Union. Uh, it's a, it's and the politicals that okay, decide. It's the same here. Uh, only it functions somewhat differently here. Look, we are, I, with all respect, I, I talk about transformation and I have to be careful not to be too arrogant because mm -hmm. I come from a country where we started this kind of process in mm -hmm. 1572 or something. Uh, and we have our flaws and problems uh, and, 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 and people switching off from the democratic process. So, uh, 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 so I'm, but maybe because I'm a historian, I'm much more aware than I was maybe 15 years ago of the time element mm -hmm. and, and patience. And, but in the end, 
whatever. Yeah? It's there, yeah, two things maybe. Yeah? I'm, I'm, I think that the EU should engage more. I think this is a region that yeah, belongs to Europe and, and should be incorporated in the European Union if the region wants that. Mm-hmm. And we should help them to achieve that. But in the end, it's up to, uh, to the region. I don't believe so. these, these arguments of China and Russia taking over. If you look at the economic situation, the trade is always European Union. Mm-hmm. If you look at the geographical situation, this region is not neither bordering on Russia, neither bordering on China. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only problem is that, that maybe we should be more proactive in uh, is uh, uh, when it comes to investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where the Chinese have us, so to say, because we only start doing that after accession. Mm-hmm. If you see what they are building in Poland, in Hungary, what they've done in Spain, in terms of infrastructure funded by the European Union, a renovation of whole inner cities paid by the European Union. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, this can only then after accession. And these funds were available to these countries after accession. Yeah, and this is what I like about the former yeah. Deputy Prime Minister, Mr. Jelic, uh, uh, who I knew well. Uh, uh, he came with the idea, mm-hmm. to, he worked it out with his colleagues uh, mm-hmm. from the region. Why can we not change it around? So give us more money now and less mm-hmm. after. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That might be uh, one yeah. of the options on but the anyhow, table. That was uh, blocked <coughs> by the Commission. Mm-hmm. By the Commission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the end, I cannot miss to ask you about your impression on the success of uh, Mr. Franz Timmermans and his outstanding performance during the campaign for the Spitzenkandidat. <coughs> Uh, how do you uh, explain his success and what do you think whether he might become uh, the president of the European Commission? <coughs> now, yeah, what explains his success? Of course, uh, first of all, that he got the uh, confidence and, and the support of all social democratic parties inside the European Union, and especially the prime ministers. Now, there are still a few of them, oh, but actually the mm-hmm. number is growing, because mm-hmm. in Finland there's now a social democrat, in the in Denmark. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and of course, very successful in Spain and mm-hmm. in, uh, in, uh, uh, in in Portugal and now Malta, but that's a small country. Mm-hmm. So that was of course very important that he has a, had the support, became the Spitzenkandidat, so the number one of the European Social Democrats. Um, and of course, he also became leader of the PVDA list, so the list, the can- list of candidates of the Dutch Labour Party. Uh, and he was very successful because the uh, the result was unexpected for everybody that. Uh, uh, on election night, it turned out that the Labour Party had become the biggest uh, party in the Netherlands in, mm-hmm. in Europe, and uh, also got a doubling of the number of seats. So actually, the most relatively the most successful social democratic party in inside the European Union. Mm-hmm. And of course, everybody and the interpretation was, of course, that this had to do with the popularity of Frans Timmermans mm-hmm. uh, in the Netherlands and trust people have in him as a commissioner. Uh, and uh, and uh, so I think the. Uh, not only the fact that they had the support of the European Social Democrats, but also a large support in the Netherlands is very positive for him. And what was, uh, for, what was also, I think, uh, 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 very interesting and important that is, uh, he was very pro-European in his, in his approach, but practical, not difficult, complicated stories about uh, institutional issues and reform. Now we have to, I wanted more social Europe. We have to tackle climate change. Uh, we have to uh, make our voice heard in the world. Uh, we have very concrete uh, on issues that people find important. We have a more, need a more social Europe, uh, and so on and so forth. So, but Europe has to do. We cannot do it without Europe. So, this was the kind of approach I think which appealed to a lot of voters in the Netherlands. This is this somewhat changed atmosphere concerning Europe, which he, I think, translated very well in his speeches and his whole campaign to the approach. Very remained a very friendly, uh, open. 
uh, not aggressive, not polarizing, uh, was also important, so friendly uh, European, so to say. So it was uh, uh, double positive for him, but also that his message helped him to achieve this success, which is also for the Labour Party has been hesitant already since 2005, since we had this referendum, somewhat hesitant about European cooperation and uh, that was an obvious choice also to steer the Labour Party in a more pro-European pro uh, direction. We now have to wait and see uh, how this will further uh, 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 develop. Uh, it helps also the Labour Party in, uh, in the national politics. In, in general, our popularity has somewhat increased. Uh, uh, but it's now, yeah, it's now uh, 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 yeah, somewhat in the back room, so to say, of the EU are discussions taking place in the European Parliament and in the Council of, of, of government leaders on what to do next. It's I'm curious what will come out of it. I think there are the su suggestion was a suggestion made by uh, um, President Macron. There are basically three candidates. Uh -huh. That's Mr. Mrs. Verstagen, uh -huh. uh, um, Mr. Timmermans and Mr. Barnier. So he didn't mention Mr. Weber. And that will not... Yeah, the EPP will have a problem with that, of course, the Christian Democrats. That Mr. Weber was left out of the equation uh, by the French president. Mm -hmm. uh, but this has to do with the suggestion and the, the debate whether uh, Weber is strong enough to be a commission president mm -hmm. because he's a parliamentarian. He has no governing experience with mm -hmm. another commissioner or a minister like Timmermans or mm -hmm. Verstager or Barnier. Well, I didn't see. It would be an enormous success, of course, for the Netherlands, in general, but also for... Social Democrats and for my party, or the PVDA, it's my party, it's not a secret. Uh, uh, but also maybe for Europe to have a pro-European uh, strong figure in the lead. But like I said, there's a lot to be done uh, uh, to uh, prepare the EU for further enlargement. I mentioned all the issues that have to be dealt with. And this is not something that the Commission or the Commission President can do on its own, yes. uh, can promote a lot. In the end, the decision-making is often between the European Parliament and the, and the Council of Ministers, yeah. and this will not change. Yes. Is, we have to wait and see. I think that is, if, if you can create a tandem in the European Union of mm -hmm. a, a strong commission, with a strong commission president, and leadership of, of not only the Germans and the French, but also of people, people like Sanchez, the Prime Minister of Spain. And now in Sweden, we have Lovgren as a strong Prime Minister. That, that maybe this will help. Uh, uh, to promote a reform agenda that will restore the self-confidence of the European Union. And this will then also, uh, I think, uh, Reflect uh, well create better conditions for the whole enlargement agenda. Mr. Biersma, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you.